listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. There's an attitude that has to be developed in us, and, and if ever I feel aggressive, it's just because of how God's wired me. I love people. <laughs> You can imagine if a king walked into a room and he was the king and sometimes there can, there can be a feel of a posture in the spirit to where there's not an allegiance to him. And it wasn't about a physical thing of sitting down or not, but it was about standing up and saying, Jesus, you are my king. And I'll stand in everything that I have everything that I am belongs 100% to you because you are the true king. You are the holy one. You are the greatest one. Furthermore, I'm also married to you. All of these different pictures are relevant and true from the word and I won't be given to anything else. I refuse to be married to anything else. I refuse to flirt with the rest of the world. Come on, somebody help me out. Thank you, Jesus. Man, God is so awesome. He is so incredible. Thank you, Jesus. I just love the presence of God. He's so faithful and so true. Twenty twenty was one of the biggest distractions, one of the biggest distracted years in the history of mankind, I think. And I'm telling you, I said it around March of last year that the enemy is blowing a smokescreen to try to distract us from what God is doing. And I'm telling you, God is doing incredible things. He's resurrecting his true church. See, what's happened is that we've had, you gotta listen to me now, we've had decades and decades and decades of, and and I'm not being hard, I'm just telling you what I know, of churchism. And what's happened is that we've been in a certain way of doing things, and the Lord's saying, now I want to really show you and tell you how to worship me. The church doesn't know how to worship the Lord. And I'm not being hard on anybody here. I'm not, I'm not saying that that includes you. But we all have things that we have to learn how to step away from and say, God, I'm going to press in. I'm going to lean into you 100%. When the children came out of bondage, it was, it was like they were living, in, and truly they were living underneath they were subjugated to a ruling authority that oppressed them from being the people and being with their God as they were supposed to be. And when you read in the law, there was very particular ways that the Lord told them how to worship. And the reason why he had to do that was because they didn't know how to worship because they had been living underneath of a different system for so long that they never stepped into the reality of what it was like to properly posture themselves before the Almighty. And I liken that to the church today, that there is a posture and the Lord is shifting us to where he's posturing us and telling us, this is how I want you to worship me. This is what I want this to look like. And do I have it all figured out? No, I'm growing and learning with everybody else. But the Lord, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the Lord has a way that he wants to be worshiped. He, if I can say this word, he he demands to be worshiped in particular ways. And we've, and I know there's different personalities and there's different giftings and there's different mixes of people. And I, I honor that and appreciate that. And so sometimes people, they they tend to worship the Lord how they feel comfortable. And that's okay to an extent, but there is something that should be on us 
that when the king enters into the room and the truth is, is that he's already here, that there is an allegiance on the inside where we say, you are here and everything belongs to you. Nothing is more important. I want to raise my hands, but I really don't feel like it. Your feelings are irrelevant at that point. I want to stand, but my legs are a little bit tired. No, you might physically need to sit down and there's nothing wrong with that. But whatever is proper to do, that's what we do because he is worthy of every cell of our body, every part of our soul and every part of our spirit, every part of us should be involved in worshiping the Lord. Everything that we do should be encompassed in worshiping him. Amen. And I'm telling you, when we do this, this is what will shift entire atmospheres, not only in the church, but in your home and in your heart and in every area and everything that you're involved in because there is nothing greater or more powerful than the name of Jesus. And when, when we make a conscious decision, a conscious choice that we are going to turn from anything, anything else, and say, I'm turning my attention from that to you, Jesus, there's things change, things happen, things begin to work right, demons flee, healings manifest, Great things happen because we're no longer giving credence to what's lesser, but we're giving credence to the greater. And we were having a, a time with the, the, the worship team, and we do about, I think about half and half now we'll practice songs, and the other half of the time we'll, we'll just, get, just get guitars and sit in a circle and just sing and just worship and have free, free worship. And the Lord told me a, a while back that he wants to bring that intimate prayer time and intimate worship into the, into the main service again. And I'm telling you, there's a realm of glory that's going to come upon this church that we have not seen in our lifetime. We haven't seen, we've tasted of it, but I'm telling you it's coming in greater measure because there is a hunger rising in people. And you know what we are finding out is that politicians can't save us. Governments can't save us. And I never thought for a second that Donald Trump was our savior, but it just makes you realize everything else in the world can totally fall apart. But Jesus is the one person that we can lean into and cling from that will never change, that's always solid, that's always secure. So what does that look like? We, the church, will, will lead the way. We, the church, will lead the way and say, let me show you how to be connected with him. Let me show you what this looks like. Let me show you how to worship God. Let me show you how to shift the culture in your home and shift the culture in your heart so the things that have been weighing, weighing you down and been bogging you down and destroying you and been disrupting the flow of what God's doing, let me show you how to break those things off in your life. And it happens through taking our attention and putting it, and honestly, let me use this, in worshiping here, and now we begin to worship here. And one of the times we were in the, the, the secret place together with the worship team, the question got asked, what is worship? And the best answer I had ever heard and still to this day have ever heard was given. And it was worship is when the Lord is at the highest place in your thinking. Not real, you're like, where's the, where's the knockout punch? That's it, that's it. It's not complicated. It's where he is at the highest place in your thinking. So when we come into the presence of the Lord, we come into worship together. See, one of the things that has to be shifted in the church, because unfortunately pastors for too long have been training people wrong for too long. It's come in have the music and everything be just like you want it and, and sing the songs and then you sit down, you hear a message and you go home. And there's a general flow to things and that's okay. But there should be a draw to bring people in not to a service, not to camp around a service, but to camp around his presence. We've camped around a meeting, we've camped around a message. You know, Joseph Z is gonna be here and and about two months, and you watch this place will be completely filled 
It, actually, I think it'll be filled and overflowing. We're gonna have to put overflow and all that stuff. And I praise God for that. But who's Joseph Z compared to Jesus? What's happened is that we've put so much on, I wanna be fed and I, and I wanna get something. And there's so much sitting and having somebody dump in that there's no interaction. And there's a time for that. I'm doing that as we speak. There's a time for, for giving out and receiving. But when we come into the house of God, the purpose is to lift him up, to glorify him, to worship him. And together, corporately, we lift our praises up to him. We honor him and we put everything else aside. And we put him at the very highest and the very central place in our thinking. Nothing else matters. No matter what your body's dealing with at the moment, no matter the state of relationships, no matter your financial situation, no matter the temperature in the room, none of that stuff matters. None of that matters. You have something? Okay. Until the Holy Ghost is stirring him, really. I know him well, and I can tell when he's being stirred hard about stuff. <laughs> Hallelujah. I was, was going to say you could share it if you want. But there has to be a shift in our, in our thinking. Are you, are you following me with this? Because I've been asking the Lord, Lord, how do we go from being where we have been to where you want us to be? Because if you think that this is what heaven is like, as much as I love this church, and, and the worship team do an amazing job, they're so awesome. As awesome as this is, this does not even compare to heaven. It, it just doesn't. Well, it compares, but it's on a lower scale. Shouldn't we be ever increasing and praying and believing and working towards as it is in heaven so it will be here on earth? And if you just read the Bible and you look at the angels and you look at the saints and you look at all the things that are happening, you look at all of that, you realize there is a level of allegiance to the Lord that we've yet to come to because we're distracted with things going on around us and we often have been trained to think and we'll have it on the front, the worship service is at 10 a.m., nothing wrong with that. But we think the worship service is going in and listening to the praise team sing some songs that we know that we can sing along with them that tend to touch us in a particular way and we think, oh, that was just really, really good. And there's none of that's evil, but that's not necessarily worship. Worship is about what the Lord does in your heart that overflows in abundance out of your life towards him. So it's interactive. Worship is something that we actually, I believe it's a lifestyle, but it's something especially in, in a corporate setting it's something where we make a choice to lift our hands. We make a choice to stand in allegiance. And please don't anyone, I, there might be a couple of you that say, well, I, I feel like you were pointing to me when I said stand up. I wasn't talking about the natural standing. That was more of a, of a prophetic picture. Maybe I could say it that way. Of There needs to be a standing up on the inside of Jesus. You are the most important. You are the greatest. All of my allegiance belongs to you. I think, I think I'm cutting through the thick of it. I think I'm, I'm making sense. I'm never, I've said this many times, and I'm learning how to, how to take my sword and wield it properly. Because when I first started to see how I was wired in the spirit, it was like, <laughs> And it was a little too much for people, and so I try not to be that way. But on, on the, the inside, I've learned to try to make my outside be more acceptable to people. But on the inside, I'm just like a raging inferno. Not mad, but just, mm, just zealous, passionate. And I want everybody else to be just like me. But it's, it's, it's not about trying to get you to be like me, but it's trying to get you and us corporately to position Jesus where he really rightfully belongs. Because when you read in the book of Revelation, and, and I don't know about you all, but I think we're getting closer to the, to the end times and maybe be in and I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I do know. We are. 
But when I look in there, you see that Jesus, there were seven churches, and only two of them he did not rebuke or deal with. He commended all of them, but there was only two that he didn't deal with. So five of the seven churches, he says, I have this against you. And I believe the church in America, if he were to walk in, and let me say this, that he is walking in the midst of the churches in America. It says that, that he walks in the midst of them and he knows their works, meaning the good and the bad and all the motivation behind it all. Jesus knows all of it because he is the head of the church universally and truly the head of each local body. He really is truly the church, the head of the church. But I believe that if he were to speak, and I believe he is speaking, and I believe I'm speaking on behalf of him, I know I am, this is what he would say to the American church. One thing he would say for sure is stop looking to be entertained. Stop looking for everything to be just a particular way. And you come in and you engage your whole being with me because everything belongs to him. Everything is about him. I've noticed something. We've experienced in the world, we've experienced a great shaking and we've experienced a shaking in this church. There were things flat out that I thought, oh, it's gonna be this way and it's gonna be amazing. The Lord said, uh-uh. No, no, you have props. You're propping up what you think is, needs to be right with things so easily that you're not trusting me. And even in, even in the worship team and in many other areas, We've, it's amazing. We have this incredible vision in us and we've had to stand in faith because at the same time, we are so on fire for God and moving forward. We've seen things and people fall away and we're like, God, what's going on here? And some of it was necessary. Some of it wasn't necessary. There's a lot of things involved, but ultimately the Lord was saying, I'm removing the props, the things that once held you up that you thought was what I wanted I'm actually removing them. And this isn't just locally. This is, this is all through America. I'll say for sure that the Lord's removing those things so his church can begin to really be who she was called to be. Close to him, not close to the pastor necessarily. Close to him, not close to the worship leader. Because see, when you get set on fire by Jesus... And that's why singing a song like that is so powerful. Set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain, that I can't control. The original version is, is I want more of you, God, but I say we have the fullness of God in Christ Jesus already. So just saying, God, I've got all of you, but I need it to manifest in my life. I need my heart to be set on fire for you. You know what the fire of God does? The fire of God burns, and when it burns, it consumes the things that don't belong, and it purifies the things that do belong. So when I see the fire of God, what I want in my heart is God burn off. When Lord set a fire in my heart, in my soul, in my thinking, so that every single thing that is not of you is burnt to a crisp, it's disintegrated, and it completely goes away, never to be seen again. But the things that I have of you that I've added to purify those things so it's truly, purely you as you have designed, as you want it to be. Sometimes the Lord, he'll just speak a word He'll release something. He'll say something. And we'll say, thank you, Jesus. And we'll take it and we'll add mountains of things around it that he never wanted to be there. And, and I'm, I'm talking to myself here. I've done that. And most people have done that. But there has to come a time when we get in the fire and we stay in the fire and we refuse to get out of the fire because we don't want anything there that does not belong. We don't want anything there that's not of God. Nothing there that's not of God. The pure, fiery, branded ones are the ones who will see, be a part of, 
and be at the center of the next great awakening in this country, which we are right on the brink of. And I've had many people be like, well, when's it going to, I don't know. That's beyond my control. That's beyond anything that I can do. But I'm telling you now, I'm going to keep myself prepared and myself ready. And as for me and my house and me and this house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to keep ourselves postured right. Where when we come in here and we go about all of our servings and all of our doings and all of the things that we do, all of that, we keep ourselves in a place where when the Lord shows up in even greater measure or when we manifest a greater measure, however you want to say it, that we're actually ready to stand and do the things that he's asked us to do. But I can tell you now, this is part of it. This is part of it. There has to come a point where every single person, this is a personal decision, every person makes the decision that I'm going to get on the altar and I'm not going to come off of the altar. It says in Romans chapter 12, verses one and two, it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you, you, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, for this is your reasonable service. Let's not talk about the high service. Let's talk about the thing that's just reasonable. What's reasonable for a believer is for them to be on the altar and to remain on the altar to where all of the things that don't belong there, that God's able to deal with them because the only place he can deal with them is on the altar. He doesn't force us to do things. It's interesting, all of this theology and philosophy that goes around that is totally anti-Christ about, well, God, nothing can happen except for what God wants to have happen in these things. God has a will set, but we have to cooperate with him. And the way we cooperate is saying, Lord, my life belongs to you. I'm married to you. You are the king of kings, and I'm going to be on the altar right here. And anything you want to touch, anything you want to deal with, because let me tell you something. For all of the ones that would say, I'm not interested in doing that, you're going to do it one day. One day, everything will be turned inside out in your life. So for the ones that never put their trust in Jesus, it's the saddest, most eternal thing that can happen, and it's, it's eternal separation. The punishment isn't going to hell. It's being separated from the Lord. But for the believers who lived here because they had their eyes here and, and refused to stay on the altar and look here towards the Lord. When they die, their eyes are going to be so wide open. I know we won't live in regret throughout eternity, but I tend to think there will be a moment of regret of what did I do with my life? Why didn't I stay on the altar? Why didn't I stay at a place where God could use me? where he could do things in me and through me and for me and by me and for others using me. Why didn't I do that? I tend to think that there could be a moment where it would be an awakening to our hearts, not to live in, in eternal condemnation or anything because God's not into that business. But I don't want to get on the other side of heaven and wish that I could have done more then when I have the choice now to say, Lord, I'm going to stay on the altar. I'm going to stay at this place. I'm going to keep you central focus on my life. I'm not going to look to the left or to the right, but I'm going to keep my eyes and my attention solely 100% on you. You know what the problem is with the living sacrifice? Is that it crawls off the altar. Remember, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. So we are alive in Christ, Amen. And because we're alive, you know, we have options, I guess. But the problem is with something that's living, really until it's truly dead, will we stay on the altar? And then we find our life in Christ that way. There's a balance, and, and I believe that the Lord's given me some wisdom in it, to where, you know, for years in the church, there was an ex. There was extreme, and I don't think you could be extreme, but if you mix it with legalism, it becomes wrong. But there's an extreme ministry and message on holiness, on surrender, 
on everything being laid at the feet of Jesus, and I believe with that 100%. Now, if you mix it with, if you don't do this, God's going to cut you off, and he won't bless you, and you could go to hell, and some weird things that get mixed in there that becomes legalistic. So then we moved over into this last 20 years where there's been this explosion of the revelation of the grace of God, and it's the right message. It's, it's truth. But what I've found is that some people have moved over into understanding grace, but they really haven't understood it very well, and they've left the former, and they should have mixed the two together. Because grace says, I don't have to perform for God to love me, accept me, bless me, be with me, anything like that. And it's 100% right, 100% true. But often what gets left in the dust is our surrender, our surrendered life to the Lord. Because actually, if you want, to be tr- you want the truth about it, grace doesn't even manifest properly without a surrendered life. When Jesus came preaching, he came preaching surrender. He said, you want to find your life, you first have to lose it. If you want to follow me, pick up your cross daily and follow me. What did he mean by that? He meant every day you put yourself at a place of, because the cross then meant death. It didn't mean anything, it didn't mean anything else but death. We talk about, we think more in terms of the cross meaning life because of what he did on the cross and it brought life to us. And I agree with that. When we hear the word cross, we think, oh, thank you for the cross. When Jesus said, pick up your cross, they weren't going, oh, thank you. Thank you. He was saying, die to yourself. Die to your wants, your desires, your ambitions, your focus being on anything and everything else beside the heavenly father. Die to every single ounce of that and you will find your life in me. And you're the same message is exactly true today. But if we just get a hold of the love of God and the grace of God, and we forget about the severity of God, then we'll find ourselves just enjoying his presence when it's convenient, but not by choice. Wow. Pastor Kent, that was one of the best things that I've heard. And I'm telling you, that hit the nail right on the head. Now, don't say this out loud, but you should be saying this in your head. And so with all that, you would say, amen. 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 When we miss and we lose and step away from the severity of the Lord, his holiness, who he is, and we're only into, God, you love me, I'm I'm your child. Listen, you come into the kingdom as his child, and you never stop being his child. But I, can I tell you that there's more to the kingdom of God than just being his child? We are called to high levels of intimacy with him, of power in him, of victory in him, of great exploits in him, of tremendous glory in him. But that doesn't come without a surrendered life. So to stay and say, God, you love me. And listen, I, I remind myself of the love of God every day. I couldn't do what I'm doing without reminding me, myself of that because I know me. I know my, my unworthiness in and of my natural self. I know my unworthiness. And I could not do what I'm doing without saying, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing to stick with me even when I wavered, even when I was unfaithful, you were still faithful. You're such a good God. God, you're so awesome. That's how I start. Many people finish there. How I finish is, Lord, you have my attention. Your goodness has grabbed my attention. Like on Moses, when he was on the mountain and the glory passed by him, and the Lord began to describe his goodness and his graciousness going and lasting. And then the end result was that Moses bowed his face to the ground and worshiped the Lord because he realized who he was in the presence of. If grace leads us to love God but doesn't lead us to surrender everything to God, it either was not true grace or it was not a true complete work in our understanding to bring us to that point. 
Because if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves only worshiping God when it's convenient and not out of an intentional lifestyle. And I'm telling you, the Holy Ghost is all over this. I didn't think about one thing that I'm telling you until I stood up here and started saying it. And the Lord just, this is what we need to hear. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not a schizophrenic but I'll have different facets that will come out of me depending on how the Lord's wanting to work because he has different facets. You know, you have, you have the Jesus that was, you know, he's the lily of the valley. And then you have the one that you see in Revelation where his robe was dripped in blood because he was going throughout the land with the sword, killing all the enemies of the Lord. Same person, two different aspects. On one level, Jesus would say, I love you. And that never changes. I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want to draw you in. And man, I love that. But on another level, he says, are you really, truly 100% surrendered to me? Are you really, really surrendered to me? Is everything really, can anything in your life, will you allow me to take anything in your life and will you put it on the chopping block and let me cut it out? That's a good question. This is an intentional lifestyle. And for years, I have, and I still continue, I refuse to ever look at anybody being happy with me or not happy with me for saying things like this because it makes God happy. And you know, the end result of surrender, it's not abuse. It's a life in him of fulfillment that nothing else can match, nothing else can touch, nothing else can compare to. Paul said that he was a bondservant. A bondservant is one who becomes a servant willingly. God didn't force him into it. God won't force you into it. He won't force you into, into servanthood. But if you are willing, you will find that he is the greatest master that ever lived. I mean, the servant quarters in God's house are greater than anything you could ever imagine here in this life. It's a blessing to serve the Lord. But you know a real true bondservant? When the Lord says, I want you to do this, they don't go, meh, I don't really feel like it. And because he's not a harsh master, he's not gonna beat you. He won't beat you. <laughs> but you won't reap the rewards that he gives you for doing what he's told you to do. It's just you don't position yourself right. I want to stay positioned right. I want our church to stay, stay positioned right. I want to encourage your heart to stay positioned right. Please don't receive anything that I'm saying as, as anything but, the, but the, the loving hand of God showing you something and saying, I want to show you this. I want this to become more of a revelation to you. Because he is a good God. He's awesome. I love serving him. It's the, greatest, it's the greatest pleasure in this world. It's not always fun. It's not always a, a, a box of, or a bouquet of flowers. Sometimes it's more like a box of chocolates. You just don't know what you're gonna get. Sometimes that's how it is serving the Lord. But he's good. It don't matter what, he's good. He's just good God. And when you look at the fact that he is so worthy and holy and excellent and pure and true, and then not in our, our born-again self necessarily, but just in our natural self, you look at our 
our unworthiness and you think that God is still willing, even after all of our mistakes and all of our nastiness in the flesh, and even if you're born again, you still got flesh and you still can deal with nastiness. I deal with it. He still chooses us. But to look and compare where we are to who he really is, when your eyes are open and you see, oh my God, who, who he is, who he is, it becomes incompatible with your revelation to sit on your hands and not lift them during worship. doesn't even make sense anymore. When you see him for who he really is, who he really is in his glory and splendor, and we only have a glimpse. We know in part, we prophesy in part, we don't have the fullness, but even a glimpse when you get a revelation of it, it ruins you from being able to sit idly and not lay everything on the line and say, I'm all yours. So my prayer is that our eyes are, are open. The veil is open. Revelation comes. We see who he is. Getting a revelation of God will change everything about what we do in our life. Everything. We're willing for God to touch any and every area of our life, our thinking, our marriage, everything. We won't hold anything back because the truth is he sees it all anyways. Getting a revelation of God will automatically, I'll say automatically, but it almost forces you to posture yourself to say, here I am. Everything I have belongs to you. You can touch anything. You can do anything. The second part of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, of course, the, the next verse, it says, and don't be conformed to the image of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. The end result is God's will being made known, but the first step is being on the altar saying, Lord, I belong to you. And after we do that, we begin to renew our mind. We renew our thinking. What does it mean to worship God? What does it even mean to be intimate with God? We've heard that for so long. What does it mean? What does it even mean? I've thought it to be this way, but I'm yet I'm not getting the results of what it should look like to be close to the greatest one, the, the almighty one. My heart is full of anguish. My heart is full of bitterness. I, I have all of these things going on, yet I, I believe I'm intimate with the Lord and, and I'm not having the results. I can tell you, if you're having bad results, it's because there's something that's, that's messed up in, in the foundation of just relationship with him. And so what happens is that we get, and the church for so long has been pulled this way or that way or whichever way, and it's time that we go back and have our minds renewed to truth, our minds renewed to who he is. He is the almighty one. He is the great I am. Why would we ever be concerned or worry about anything? When we literally have the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead living on the, in, living on the inside of us. And he was there when the world was created. The universe was created. He parted the Red Sea. He parted the Jordan. Dried up the ground underneath of it. And at the Red Sea, when, when they walked across, all the enemies were destroyed behind them. We serve the greatest, most magnificent, powerful, awesome God. And the only way, it, it's only a story until you're there with him intimately, personally with him, and he makes it come alive to you. He shows you who he really is. And then all of a sudden, the realm of impossibility gets thrown out because you are with the one who can fix any impossible situation who can change and overcome everything that was once impossible, now suddenly is in the realm of possibility 
And the more you lean into him, it becomes a realm of probability. And the more you lean into him, eventually you're fully convinced because of who you're connected to that this thing over here is a done deal, it's worked out, and there's not even any room for unbelief. Why? Because you've quoted a thousand scripture verses? No, it's because you're connected with him as you quote the thousand scripture verses. We have to come back to the secret place. The secret place comes when we surrender our will and say, God, I do. I will marry you. I belong to you. I'll say yes, and I will die to everything else that I've been hanging on to. All of my preconceived ideas about relationship with you, about church, about whatever, anything that I thought to be true, I'm willing to lay all of it down so that I can have the absolute, positive, 100% truth coming from you. This is much needed. Man, God is awesome. Man. You know, just when we were in worship, I just, it was like they started singing this song about, about being holy. And maybe it was just me, but I just couldn't. I couldn't just sing, you are holy, you are holy. I don't even remember the words of the song whatever it was, but telling him that he's holy. I can't just stand there and be like, you're holy. Yeah, see, worship usually ends around 1035, 1040. You are holy. Um, the offering, that'll get done, which we never took. We'll just give it as we go out. Uh, then Pastor Kent, he'll usually get up and talk for a little while, and you know, then we'll go home. Mm -hmm. You are whole. You know, I mean, just the stuff that goes through our minds. It's like, what are we really focused on? Where is our attention and our gaze really at? See, I'm just willing to confront these thoughts. I had, and I didn't even, we didn't get to anything that we had planned today, but we did because we were in tune with the Holy Ghost, and that's just what we do. But I was talking to Liz about something, and we took a walk, and we were just having a lot of heart to heart, and actually, that's intimacy. We'll just walk and we'll talk. That's how you get intimate with the Lord. It's the exact same way. And I shared something that was, that was so raw. And I said, can I, can I say that? Which is silly because I, oh, I say raw stuff all the time anyways. <laughs> and she said, I think you have to do that. All, all, of the, all of the standing in the pulpit and putting on a make sure everything just go, that stuff has to end. Listen, the church is losing the battle, the culture battle. We're losing. I don't know. I'm not saying we're going to lose, but I am saying we are losing. Something has to be different. And there needs to be, a, there needs to be going back to the basics of what Jesus said works. Surrender yourself. Become one with him. Stop putting all of the things that are the important to you. And look, God, he... He's, a, he's an awesome God, and he wants us to enjoy things. You know, he made, uh, I don't know if he made hockey games to be played, but sure, he made hockey games to be played. He made flag football and, and uh, animals for us to kill. And love. And love, yeah, whatever, whatever. Kill them if you're going to eat them, you know. You eat meat, don't you? Yes, I, saw, I was with you eating meat one time. So there's things we can do that are, it's not wrong, but what are, what's your focus on when you're doing it? Who are you thinking about when you're, when you're doing it? Is your purpose for life about just those things? Whatever it would be, anything you could throw in there. Is that your purpose for life? Because if it is, it's a really shallow purpose. I literally, when I was a kid, I idolized hockey. I loved, I was good at hockey. I could take any one of you playing hockey, I have no doubt. You're not impressed. But I played it all the time. I mean, from the time I was like seven years old till I was about 15, I played on average hours every single day. If it was raining, I would go and squeegee the hockey rink off if there was an hour, because my dad built us a hockey rink in the backyard. It was pretty cool. And uh, I'd go squeegee the concrete off just to play enough, and then if it started raining again, I'd have to quit, you know, or whatever. But I mean, every chance I got was my point. And the Lord began to show me. He spoke to me one time, and he said, it was so simple. I was, young, I was about 14, and he said, 
Hockey didn't die for you. I did. And I was 14. I was like, oh, wow. And nothing wrong with playing hockey, but it was the, it was the placement in my life that I put it. And sometimes not with an evil heart, but with a distracted heart, we put other things in place where only he, only he, only he is king of that place. Only he's allowed to sit there. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Did I hit where I needed to hit today? I, I believe I did. I believe I did. I think that there was enough thrown out on the dinner table here that everybody could pick something up and have something to eat and be fed from it and grow from it. So I've just, ref I've refused. To, and I guess I say this because I just want you to know why I do and say things that I do. It's because my job is to shepherd the church, not to entertain the church. Thank you for the thank you. You're welcome. And for those of you that still want to be entertained, you're going to be disappointed week after week after week. Less Liz and I make more videos. That was pretty entertaining. I'll admit that. For those of you that didn't see the video, we made a funny video. But who cares about being entertained? It's actually, it's pretty awesome because the closer you are with the Lord, the more, the more you really get entertained by him, if you could say it like that. But who cares about being entertained? You know, it's hard, it's hard to draw people in when you're wired like that. Because the church, but, but this is an apostolic church, which means we pioneer. We break through the, the barriers that other people, with good hearts, but other people have set up like, oh, this is how you do church. And the Lord says, actually, this is how I want you to do the church. If you'll obey me, it will work. And we've had many times where I'm like, Lord, am I hearing you right? <laughs> but he says, yes, you are. And it's right for pastors, for leaders to challenge their people to grow, to challenge them to be stretched, to enlarge their capacity of their heart, to be able to come to another level in their relationship with him. See, it's not all about coming here and just experiencing the, the glory or the love and all that's important or receiving a miracle. All of that's awesome. That's part of church. That's part of the Lord. That's part of the kingdom of God. But I can't, I can't be with you all the time. Jesus can, though. So for me to teach you how to be more connected with him, that's the best thing you could ever hear in your life. <laughs> that's the greatest message you could ever hear. Here's how you get connected with the Lord. Here's how you go deeper with the Lord, be more intimate with him. I'm gonna say this one last thing and then I'm gonna quit. Intimacy is something that is, it sounds strange to people because when they think about intimacy, they think about, you know, a man and a, man and a woman, but there's reasons why there's things in the Bible that talk about us being intimate with the Lord and having a connection with him like that. It's because what happens between a man and a woman when they get married is they literally, and I already said this, but let me say it again, they literally become one person. They become unified one together. Imagine, just imagine for a second, if you were married to your spouse in the natural, and many of you sitting in here are married, and every day that you woke up, you did all kinds of things and you never communicated with them, you never involved them in what you were doing. You went, oh, you went on vacations without them. You went to work and you were never willing to pick up the phone or text or anything throughout the day to communicate with them. Imagine if you refused to sleep in the same bedroom as them. Most guys would never do that, but you know. <laughs> Anyways, I was, try I was trying to lighten the air a little bit, but now it's even more awkward. Thank you, brother. Amen. An honest man in here. But imagine if you were married and, and that's what it looked like. It wouldn't be a very successful marriage. It wouldn't be very healthy if you never communicated with the person. And when you got married, 
it's no longer she's part of her family, not that she isn't, but it's no longer going to her parents to talk to her about this, that, and the other, or going to his parents to talk about this, that, and the other. They become a unit, and they make their own decisions, they have their own life, and now they have one will, one flesh unified for a specific purpose. And when we get married with, to the Lord, we are his bride. I know sometimes God's like, yeah, I'm not the bride. Yeah, you are. You are. You're the bride of Christ. Sorry, guys. <laughs> what does that even mean? What does that look like? What it looks like is that we are called to walk this life in unison with him. But if we are still hanging on to all of the things from our former covenant, our former ways, our former thoughts, what we were going for, I had to lay down the idea of being a professional hockey player when I married Liz. Well, actually, before that, because I just wasn't that good, actually. I could still beat all of you, but I just wasn't that good. Anyways, it's not even funny. Oh, my gosh, Lord. Okay, it's time to be done. But I had to lay, I had to lay down that, that stuff. I had this friend of mine that he, he got married and I was like, how's that going? He's like, well, I told her that when we got married that I like to play music. And this is one of my hockey buddies. He's like, I, I like to play hockey. And, you know, that she just needs to get over it. I'm like, how's that working for you? He's like, yeah, not, not too well. And it's because he was taking other things and bringing them in and putting them in the place. And, it, and he got it figured out eventually and they got a good marriage. But, you know, if you do that with your natural spouse, it wouldn't work well. That's why it doesn't work well with us and Jesus. Because we got everything else involved that he said, I, he never said, I want those things there. He said, I want it to be me and you. Come on, let's go away and let's spend some time together so me and you can be connected. Take the time, do what's necessary, lay everything else aside, communicate with the Lord. He will show you how to do that. People ask, they, they say, how do I get connected with the Lord? How do you explain what it's like to talk to somebody? You just talk to them. You can't do it here. You open up your heart to him and say, God, here I am. You become vulnerable with him. Here I am. Everything I have here belongs to you and I want you to minister to me. And when you do that, he'll meet you there. Don't you worry. He'll meet you there. And when you do, everything in your life will begin to change. Now, I'm not saying that all the circumstances will begin to change, although a lot of those can too. But the things that have been grabbing your attention that were once so important, when you get focused in with him, it's like, oh my gosh, I think I was worried about something. Uh, what was it? Literally, I've done that before. Because Jesus, Jesus is the greatest. And when we have our attention and focus on him, everything else just fades into the background. That's where we belong. That's where we're supposed to be. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.